0: This is it. Bench Stash is officially back for season two. Oh, shit. First... What up? Whoa, who's that?
1: Whoa, here comes that boy. That boy? Who that boy? Oh, shit. Your boy, Leo Cali, Leo Kalisi in the building on the pod.
0: <laughs> this is already off to a wonderful start already here. Already a
1: train wreck.
0: <laughs> Bench Stash season two underway. The first full season. So one could argue that we are a rookie podcast this is true
1: that was our red shirt season last season if i'm using that correctly probably not
0: close enough sounds good to me yeah sounds good but we'll we'll just go ahead and say that it's our rookie season as a podcast we're doing it right starting off in the fantasy wasteland that is july full of wonderful news and speculation that will obviously fall apart by the time draft comes in august september but because you have nothing else to listen to, we are starting now with an episode on draft strategies. Yeah. But before we jump into it, I suppose we should officially introduce ourselves. Leo already did his bit, which was horrible. It was really good, cringe-worthy. But that is going to be the mo of the Bench Dash Pod. There's going to be a little bit of information, a little bit of cringe, and a lot of fun. Ah, gotta be cringing. If you're not cringing, cringing. It's, cringing. Not, it's not fun. Every day I'm cringing. That's it. That's but the yeah, song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am Derek. No nicknames needed except the uh, the champ. We'll just go with that because, wow. you know, and both the fantasy leagues that I was in with Leo last season, I, w- I won. I mean, humble brag. Well, uh, that's not really humble well, at I, all. but.
1: Yeah, but, you know, the jury's still I don't know if it was legit. We don't know.
0: I'm pretty sure... We do know, because it was recorded on the internet, and everything on the internet is official. Allegedly won, I think is probably the best way to put it. I'll just have to come back and defend my mantle.
1: No team that has ever won a championship in a single year has won it the next year. Look it up. It's a real stat. Proven. And real football, too. Yeah, yeah. I won won that league, uh, whatever year it was, 2014, and then lost to you, basically, last year. So...
0: You're cursed now. There's a first time for everything. And this is going gonna, gonna to happen this season. So, yeah. So what has happened since the the last Bench dash pod? It's been a long time. I feel yeah. like we didn't even really end the season, which would strengthen the argument that this is our rookie season. This is our first season as a fantasy football podcast.
1: Yeah, last year we started at week two, and I, I think our last one was like week 14, and then we just kind of fell off. So first yeah, full had, season.
0: Yeah, we had plans to do playoff pods, but once the NFL playoffs start, fantasy football kind of just falls away, yeah. and you lose all hope. You're either basking in the glory of victory or crying in the dark room. Wondering where your fantasy season went awry.
1: Dark room.
0: (laughs) There it is. There it is. Boom. echo. So, yeah, we'll just kick it off. I mean, there's not much to talk about this time of the year other than eagerly prepping for your draft, which won't come until week three of preseason. That's the optimal time to draft, I suppose. Allegedly. Allegedly. We saw a bunch of quality fantasy players go down in the preseason last it's year Going down it's going down, down in, the in the dms oh, oh shit <laughs> <laughs> i think if we had any listeners at this point they've already logged off they're You're gone like, it's just a bunch of idiots rambling they're gone a they bunch gone. of two so yes do you agree that you should wait until about week three week four of the preseason to draft Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Like beginning of September, once all the the preseason training camp carnage is over, because there's always like a handful of elite players that just like their ACLs implode and they go down. And if you draft before that point, you're just asking for trouble.
0: It's almost better if their ACLs do pop off in the preseason, though. That saves you the pain of drafting a a Le'Veon Bell and then watching your fantasy season just dwindle.
1: It does, and it, like, helps you decide what to do with players. Like, uh, I think last year, Kelvin Benjamin, I was like, where do I take him? He only had one season. He kind of slowed down towards the end of it, and then he tore his ACL, and I was like, oh, never mind. I don't have to worry about this.
0: Yep. Yeah, it saves you a lot of pain. But, obviously, you don't want to draft too early. I've heard arguments that, okay, you have your draft super early so you can take advantage of value because right now there are some insane value happening in some mock drafts but yeah it's i don't think it's worth it the risk is too high that you lose 30 percent of your team before the season even starts
1: yeah and value
0: is value is so relative
1: like right now it looks like there's really good value and then at the beginning of september it'll look like there's different value and then a month into the season it'll look like that value was completely wrong like i recall was it two seasons ago and like an anecdote of one of our specific leagues, one of our friends who had never played before uh, they drafted and we looked at their team. We're like, wow, this team is, this team is garbage. They're, they're ruined. And then their team ended up performing so well. They didn't have to trade or work the wire or do anything. And they just like walked right into playoffs.
0: Yeah. And that just backs the narrative that you don't win your league in the draft. Basically, you you win your league with the moves that you make during the season. Now, uh, having a good draft obviously helps, but we've seen so many things happen that wasn't according to plan, basically. You can't predict when a Devontae Freeman is just going to go off. You can't predict injury. The only thing you can predict about injuries is that inevitably they will happen, but really, it's fantasy football is one of those... It's it's a fickle mistress. A
1: real fickle
0: <laughs> bitch, as they say. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, back to the original point. Yeah, Drafting towards the end of preseason is optimal. Plus, then you have a good idea of maybe who is going to be the starter, especially in murky backfields or wide receiving cores. You don't really know who is in line for the touches. You can only speculate at this point. But during the preseason, we start to see a little bit of how the offense is going to be run, especially when you get to week three. That's the closest week to an actual NFL game. The offense, first team offense will stay out the longest, first team defense as well. So you get a good preview into how that team will be running. So right after week three draft, week four doesn't really mean anything. Players will be resting. So wait till week three yeah i'm with you i'm with you there it's definitely the best
1: the best way to see how the depth charts are shaken out you know not not at all of uh how the offense is going to run or any of that because it's all vanilla as fudge during the preseason but it's it Uh, gives you an idea of who the backups are you know maybe a little bit of what kind of volume to expect um and it's just just the safest time to do it you know there's
0: no no reason to do it earlier than that. exactly So, I mean, before we really jump into this whole draft strategy thing, has there been any fantasy news of note that has happened in the offseason? We know players are coming back from injury. We know Le'Veon Bell pissed hot for marijuana. I don't know what is going to happen with that whole thing. Probably nothing, but it Mm -hmm. was news for a fraction of a second. Yeah. Anything else that you want to uh, discuss before we hop on in?
1: Not really, because my draft strategy usually doesn't align at all with specific players or, you know, injury. It's all much more vague and tends to stay the same from year to year. So, you know, the the offseason stuff doesn't really change it that much. Um, I mean, Darren McFadden is hurt again. Are we surprised?
0: No. That's the short and simple answer. Yeah. But uh, my balls are tingling in a way that only fantasy football can make them. So let's hop right into this draft strategy segment. And the strategy that seems to be taking over the fantasy landscape this offseason is zero running backs. Yeah, it's so goddamn trendy. It like started up uh, last season, like a little bit the season
1: before that maybe. And then this, this is like the year of zero RB really like. Taken over in the mainstream a little bit. It's the goddamn fucking fantasy zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> and it's... For, the, for those unfamiliar with Zero RB, the uninitiated, it's essentially the idea that because running backs are just, like, busting and dying left and right, uh, you're better off spending your first th- three, four, maybe even, like, five picks on wide receivers who are safer and just more reliable, and then trying to win the lottery with running backs in the
0: mid to late rounds. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a classic lover that's been spurned and then refuses to have anything to do with any product or song that reminds them of their ex, you know? Yeah. Jitterbug comes on jitterbug. And then they burst into tears because that was the first song that they danced to with their ex. That'd be a good first dance. Yeah. They just want nothing to do with it anymore. That's basically what's happened here. We've seen so many first round running backs bust or go down to injury early to mid season that people just like you said, they want nothing to do with the running back position. So it's a passing league anyways. like all but three or four teams are passing more than 50 percent of their offensive snaps. So that's where the opportunity is. We're going to load up on these wide receivers. Which I guess in theory makes sense. Now, you don't have to buy into it, but do you understand the logic behind it, or are you just completely against it? Oh, no, I get the logic. I get how, uh,
1: in a vacuum, it makes sense to spend your first couple picks on sort of the the guaranteed return, you know, the lowest risk of having a player bust, and then, you know, your first two picks are injured or they lost their job, and then you're kind of screwed. But it kind of ignores the the reason that running backs are valuable in the first place um which is positional scarcity is sort of the yes biggest reason behind it
0: yes and i know you have a lot prepared on your positional scarcity
1: argument oh yeah so much prepared i found an article someone else wrote on the internet uh and stole some information
0: um yes we have to keep the creative integrity intact So I'll just let you jump into the positional scarcity argument as to why running backs have always been touted as the most valuable position in fantasy football. So take it away. Yeah, so positional scarcity, you're basically comparing the
1: top performer at a position versus the replacement level at that position, or sort of like the the lowest that you will need at that position. So for example, in a standard format league where you start two running backs and you have a flex, that could be wide receiver or running back. There is 30 different running backs. You have to consider 24 for the two starting positions. And you sort of split in half the flex spot. Mm-hmm. So you end up with 30 running backs, 30 wide receivers. Um, and for this argument, we'll just leave it at that. It also, you know, you consider it for quarterbacks It'd be closer to it'd be 12. Exactly. Same with tight end 12. Um, but this uh, article that one Jacob Gibbs, don't know him, probably a nice guy, uh, put on the internet, sort of illustrates this point exactly. And he compares uh, the top player at a position and then against sort of the different tiers below it. So it's RB1 versus RB10 and then RB1 versus RB20 and RB1 versus RB30. Uh, and when you look at the sort of drop down from the top of each of them in running back versus wide receiver, it... Basically tells the whole story you need. So for running back, it drops down from RB1 to RB10. It's a 41% drop. So it goes from 348 fancy points to 205. So they scored 41% less. Uh, now, when you hmm. look at that against wide receiver, it goes down 30% from 388 to 269. Uh, and that's just even stopping there, even just the top 10, it shows you that getting yep. a running back that is in there is huge because once you get below 10 it's already you're at a much bigger disadvantage and the exactly. gap just gets even bigger from there between 1 and 20 it's 51 percent between for running back and then between wide receiver 1 and 20 it's 43 percent and then going all the way down to your sort of base level replacement for running back it's a 58 percent difference and for wide receiver it's only a 50 percent difference and that's just illustrates that The reason that, at least for me, I don't buy into this zero RB strategy is that when you pass on those early running backs, you're passing on the sort of the safest option to
0: finish in that top 10 to get a running back who is a proven producer. Okay, okay. First of all, you're throwing out way too many big words because (laughs) I don't know what they mean. I'm going to take them as disrespect. Sure, 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 sure. Second of all, I like it. Yeah. I like what you're saying. Of course you do. Because uh, uh, you're not a goddamn dummy. So, tr- so treat me as somebody who's never played fantasy football before. What are, right. you, what are you telling me right now? Oh, shit. All right.
1: What I'm telling and, you. In layman's
0: terms. and, and, and the, Lay it to me straight, Leo. In the
1: simplest terms, uh, an elite running back is more valuable than an elite wide receiver because the difference between an elite and a replacement is bigger for running backs than a wide receiver. The drop off is more dramatic on running backs. It is a scarcer Still lost. position. Oh, wow. Okay. Still lost. <laughs> uh, running backs be getting hurt more. So you got to get one of them top ones though. You know?
0: Now. Nah. Oh, I'm understanding. <laughs> there okay. You there you I'm, go. You just sold me on taking a running back in the first round.
1: There it is. There it is. That's all. Wow.
0: Actually, that goes against my personal draft philosophy, being stubborn and being stuck on drafting a certain position in the first round. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Sure. But yes, I I completely back what you're saying about the whole zero RB fad. And I think what we're going to see play out this season is a lot of people are going to jump onto this bandwagon and they're going to get burned simply because so many other people are doing it. So as part of your draft strategy, you, you shouldn't be going in looking at zero RB, 100%. There's no other path you are going to take because if seven or eight other players have the same mindset, then there are going to be a couple that are just sitting there reaping the benefits of having the top running back fall to them in the late first round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to be flexible. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I... Don't like the strategy for the same reasons that you just pointed out, positional scarcity. And running backs have always been touted as the most uh, highly touted position in fantasy football, I should say, because of their opportunity. They are always touching the ball more than wide receivers. That will never change. You look at the top running backs and the amount of attempts that they're getting, plus the amount of targets in the passing game. That is something that they have going for them. Not only do they contribute running the ball, but a lot of the top backs will also catch the ball out of the backfield. Now, one of the arguments for 0RB is that we're starting to see the specialist position where the three-down running back is a thing of the past.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you, if you look at the top fantasy scores from last year, you still see five to ten really elite running backs. You should have no qualms about taking in the first round or the first couple of rounds so I think it goes back to people just having bad experiences with taking like a CJ Anderson or an Eddie Lacey or something like that and then just getting burned by it so they've convinced themselves and they've read the popular articles by other people who have also been burned by running backs and they've decided okay it's time to switch things up let's go all wide receiver yeah,
1: and uh, you bring up the a good point of the sort of argument that the three-down running back is dead, so go wide receiver and just avoid it. But actually, while that's true that the three-down running back is dying, that that, may, that means that the ones that do still exist, your Le'Veon Bells, your Adrian Petersons, your God Turdleys, your Jamal about that base Charles, those guys mm-hmm. just become even more valuable because there's, there's less of them. That might be the whole list of three-down backs right there, at least that that we know about maybe Zeke Elliott turns out to be one maybe David Johnson turns out to be one but as of now that's that's probably the whole list of proven three down backs maybe Lamar Miller is that who knows yeah but that's just makes those guys even more valuable
0: exactly so you want to snatch them up quick because if you go heavy wide receivers yes you'll be looking stacked in the wide receiver field but then your first round or your first running back will be like a Matt Jones, a Jay Ajahi, Matt Jones, uh, Matt Jones, who Matt Jones. <laughs> exactly. Or if you draft wide receiver, wide receiver and you're looking at the third round to get a running back, you might end up with somebody like, um, uh, LaShawn McCoy or Matt Forte, which isn't the worst situation to be in, but there's still a lot of question marks with those guys. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's tough sitting here talking on a podcast, telling people, okay, this is what you should be doing. You really have to see how the board falls. Yeah. That's
1: a a really good point um, that to test out any of these strategies, whether it's zero RB or any of the stuff we're going to lay out is what we like to do. Um, More important than any of that is to get into a bunch of mock drafts and just mess around until you find something that feels comfortable to you. Because this is all, this is all guesswork. No one knows what they're actually doing. It doesn't matter how many projections they've made that have turned, you know, showed them these ranks and showed them that, oh, we should take this position. It's all just, you know, trying to tell the future, which no one can actually do. So, you know, being able to explain historical precedent does not give you the ability to predict the future. And I feel like that gets lost a little bit in fantasy analysis. And so it's sort of just
0: what you're the most comfortable with. Exactly. And a lot of things happen on draft day. Other teams in your league will fall in love with certain players and the board will fall in ways that you don't really expect. So you have to be prepared to adapt to the situation, not be okay. I'm going the top wide receiver available in the first round no matter what. And then you're sitting there with Le'Veon Bell in the mid first round but you're so stuck on taking a wide receiver that you pass. That would be a critical mistake.
1: Yeah, that's. I'm I'm definitely with you that my biggest flaw with zero RB or really any, cause any of the zero strategies, because there's also I've seen zero wide receiver getting thrown out is sort of like the the antithesis yeah. to it, of you just go running back four rounds in a row and then you start getting <laughs> wide receiver. And yeah, the problem yeah. is the the inflexibility. You shouldn't be drafting for a specific position. You should be, at least for me, My what I try to do is draft – the best posi- the best player at the scarcest position and it's just that is like so open to whatever position that might be and for me personally I see it falling more running backs earlier but the board yeah. can fall in such a way that you do end up with two wide receivers in the first couple rounds
0: yeah i mean it, it it goes to the fact that if you're looking at the draft board okay i'll pose a question for you okay if you're looking at the draft board and you see a run on a certain position oh, sure. say why Yeah, got the runs. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) you see wide receiver fall, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. Uh Now, are you of the mind to join in because, oh, gone, the studs, or are you going to zag to the zig, zig to the zag, and go the other direction and take a running back? go the opposite direction of the run because the value will therefore be greater in that certain position.
1: Right. I mean the the boring like truthful answer is well it depends on who the you know the players I'm choosing between is. Yeah. But in the the vacuum of this, you know, this question, uh, I'm more likely to to zag, to go against the grain. Because if there's a run on one position, that usually means there's value now sitting at the other position. That, and that, that's not to say the run was the wrong choice at the beginning of the run. Like if let say it was a run on wide receivers, that first person that took a wide receiver, that might've been the best player at that position. That that might've been the best player at the scarcest position at that time. But by the time it gets to me, it might not be anymore. Now, because, you know, four wide receivers have gone in a row. Now it's likelier that it's running back. So usually zag just because, Statistically, the player on the other side of the run is going to be better at a certain point.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So you could it could be a decision of taking like wide receiver six versus running back one or two. I mean, in an outrageous scenario, right? You never know what you're going to see. But then you look at the value and you're thinking, wow, okay." Would you rather have the sixth best wide receiver or the best running back? Now, obviously, that's an exaggerated example, but you will run into situations where that is a choice you have to make. Yeah, And like you said, you typically should go with the best player, the most value, at the scarcest position. I mean, you do also have to look up at the makeup of your team Mm -hmm. as well. Later, as you move on through the draft, you don't just want to stock up on one position and then completely neglect another position.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing to... uh... I guess, address now is when you draft, are you more likely to roster fill where you're like, okay, I need to get two wide receivers and two running backs and a quarterback and a tight end. I need to get all this like in the first half of the draft and then figure out the bench. Or are you more likely to just draft draft for the best value and for depth? And you're just taking whatever is like giving you the most depth at whatever position and not worrying about how it fills out your roster.
0: Yeah. Personally, I draft solely on value the value that i see in the round no matter what the position is Mm. i've had mocks where i've gone running back in the first three rounds i've had mocks where i've gone wide receiver running back wide receiver running back alternating and i've had mocks where i've gone wide receiver wide receiver it really just depends on what you feel is the best value at your draft position and also position scarcity as we touched on before yeah But uh, as far as roster filling goes, uh, that is kind of one of those pigeonhole mindsets that I think will ultimately burn you. If you're going in thinking, okay, I've already selected my two running backs, now I need to focus on two wide receivers. I need to get a quarterback. I need a tight end. I need to fill out the starting roster. You know, when you have your draft screen, you typically have your roster on the right hand side, Mm -hmm. and you're watching the positions get filled up. So if you're of the mind that okay, I need before I start throwing bench players on on my team, I need to fill up my starting roster which some players do. Um, That's not how I operate. I am fine. Not even taking my second wide receiver or my flex spot. Um, Well, the flex spot will naturally fall in with almost in every situation will be a running back or a wide receiver. I don't
1: draft a flex. Never, never have, never will,
0: never will. (laughs) Boom. Mm. Flex position is overrated, but yeah, I, I just draft the best value. And if I have four running backs on the bench, then I have four running backs on the bench. You're oversaturated on that one position, but that just means that you have trading power as the season goes on. If you have kind of a monopoly on a certain position and other players need that position, then you have all the bargaining power when it comes to trading. Yeah. You don't let them dictate the terms. And I love just building a roster with the best players possible. Now, obviously you do, at a certain point, you do need to fill in the positions. You can't just have a team full of running backs it won't even allow you to do that. Sure. But for the most part, I'd like to stock up on the best players possible. If I have significantly more of one than the other, it doesn't really bother me because I know that barring a catastrophe, I should be able to maneuver certain positions, maneuver trades throughout the course of the season based on the strength in one position that I have. And I've done that in the past where I've held wide receivers or running backs basically at ransom on my bench mm-hmm. until players get desperate enough and they come crawling to you. Please, just take my team. I just want a wide receiver. Yes yeah. me all running backs. The- <laughs> <laughs> Where are my running backs? Exactly. Demarius Targaryen. Oh, shit. That's it. Demarius Targaryen. Am- uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm
1: with you. Uh, across the board and all those things, uh, I think the only time I've ever drafted roster filling was probably my very first season of fantasy football when I did. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't do any research before I drafted. The only name I recognized was Tom Brady, and then I roster filled. So I was like, I Can't guess this off. is what I do. Um, but then since then, <laughs> that's you know, that's how you end up with a a weak bench. I have found that your your starting lineup yes. looks supposedly the strongest, but again, we have no idea, and you have this bench of very weak players. It hurts your trading power. Um, so yeah, I go the same way as you is going with the, the sort of best available player approach. Uh, yeah. And I guess it's good to take a second to define best player. Cause we're saying that a bunch, which to me is talent plus situation. You know, they have to be, yes. it's, you know, a combination of being talent, talent, being more important, but also situation. It doesn't matter how good they are. If they're third, the third running back on the depth chart, you know, then exactly. it doesn't matter
0: if they have more players to kind of bunny hop over to get that starting role, then okay. Maybe you take that risk really late in the draft to sit on the back of your bench, but that's not something you should be considering in the early part of the draft thing. Oh, well he's talented. So bench dash told me to take the talented player. I'm going to take him now in the sixth. And then he sets on his team, his real football team's bench for most of the season, and you're sitting there yeah. thinking, wow, Bench dash is the idiots. Worst <laughs> fantasy football <laughs> podcast ever. I mean, you wouldn't so, yeah, be you wrong. Really. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong, actually. That's the truth of the matter. But basically, yes, you have to look at the, the situation, the real-life situation. I know we, we tend to get lost in the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at the real makeup of a football team, okay, typically there's <laughs> a starting running back. Now we're starting to see, as I mentioned earlier, the specialist running backs that come in, the pass-catching back that comes in on third downs. Yeah. But then there's a third running back typically rostered, and we always see this dialogue. Okay, let's look at the depth chart of a certain team if we're looking at the running back position. Who has a realistic chance of usurping the starter? Is it going to be this specialist back? Now, sometimes that's the case, but oftentimes they're specialists for a reason. So Mm -hmm. in the case of an injury to the starting running back, it might not be that specialist that jumps into the starting role right away. You have to kind of look at the whole makeup of the team. Do they have a a third back which fits more into their running scheme, which may be more of a power back? And if that's the case, if the starting running back goes down, it won't be the second string running back that jumps in. It'll be the third string running back that jumps in. So you kind of have to... Take that into consideration. And that's not always the case either. Mm-hmm. Some teams, like Tampa Bay, for example, they have Charles Sims, Chucky Sims. Chucky Sims. Who, who is that third down pass, pass catching back, but also would just jump in and fill the starting role if Muscle Hamster were to go down to an injury. So there's a lot of things to consider uh, when it comes to opportunity on a given team. But yes, you have to look at the situation, the offense that they're in as well. Mm-hmm. We see talented wide receivers get shit on by garbage quarterbacks all the time. Yeah. So if it's a matter of talent, like, Oh my gosh, Sammy Watkins has says all the talent in the world, but their team runs 98% of the time. That's a real stat, 98% 98% of the Buffalo bills <laughs> run the ball. 98% of the time that is bench dash verified. Yep. You can, you can, <laughs> you heard it here. You know, it's true. Take that to the
1: bank, which means LaShawn McCoy is the number one player in fantasy. I'm drafting him first
0: overall. There is, a doubt. Boom, 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 boom. Out of my mind. Coach would have put me in an 82. I <laughs> would have won the championship. <laughs> Out of my mind. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, I mean, you have to look at the team that they're on. So if they're a run-heavy offense like Buffalo, then you look at a Sammy Watkins, just using him as an example, Mm-hmm. He might be one of the most talented wide receivers in the entire league. Maybe a first-round talent. Probably. But you wouldn't draft him in the first round strictly because he just doesn't see the volume. He doesn't mm-hmm. see enough targets. Now, when he does, he explodes and just goes ham sandwich all over the fantasy world. And people are like, oh, shit, Sammy Watkins has put up 35. But then in the next week, he might drop like a three. Yeah. Of course, you know... The rule of thumb is whenever the player goes off, they're Mm -hmm. on your bench, and then you put them in and they drop an egg. So, you really, there's a lot of things to consider. Offense, where they are in the depth chart, you know, if if they have a bunch of talent, which was the original starting point of this tangent, Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really mean shit unless they're going to have an opportunity to utilize that talent. And the more players that they have to hop over on this depth chart make them less attractive. Yeah,
1: that's a good like a uh, quick checklist I run through in my head when I'm sitting there in a mock and it's like I'm trying to decide between two players and I got like 15 seconds and it's like I don't know who to take. Just really quick, which one do I think is more talented? Which one has the better situation? And then that can that usually helps you decide pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then we have the quarterback. Oh, the
1: the quarterback position. This might actually be me. More controversial than any of the other stuff we said, because it's like the more the more mainstream thing you know this is where to to us in the fantasy community it's like obvious how to treat quarterback, but then you get into your draft with all the the plebs who don't follow any of this very closely, and you see where they take quarterback, and it's like, what why would you do that? So this perhaps is
0: more controversial in the mainstream Ah, uh, this is true, but first can we touch on the word pleb? Oh yeah, can you define this yeah, for me? Pleb is I from have no the, the Greco
1: Roman plebeian, uh, which is a way they described their like uh, their peasants, basically. They're very lowborn, uh, they're... dirt person peasants, you know, bowl of brown, you know, really, really deep in there. Um and plebeian, and then the slang became pleb because, you know, as the kids are one to do. So and here I am uh, being I a young cool kid at twenty eight years better. old. Yeah, but the, you know the I'm just gonna start throwing a plebeian. I mean, yeah, but it's like the, the kids are always shortening things as much as they can. Like, the, the newest fad for the kids is when they're, like, typing stuff out to just leave out all the vowels. You get, like, just the consonants. And it's like, you can kind of tell what they're saying, and it, like, makes you seem more, like, cool and casual. I mean,
0: I get it. I'm very young and cool. Yeah. We'll go with that. Sure. But isn't, isn't Plebeian, like, Julio Jones' <laughs> real name? It is, yeah. It's actually
1: uh, Plebeian uh, Quintoris Julio uh, Jonesethon. <laughs>
0: Wow. That's my number one pick. Number one pick. In terms of strength of name, Plebeian Jones. You heard it here first. Plebeian Jones. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But back to the quarterback. So let's tackle when to draft a quarterback and how valuable they are on your roster. Now, I know a lot of problems people have when they look at the makeup of fantasy football. They typically will just go, okay, let's see who scored the most fantasy points in 2015. Click. Oh, it's sorted nicely for me. Oh, look. Oh, look the first 10 players listed are quarterbacks. They score the most points. Mm -hmm. So naturally, you should be drafting a quarterback in the first three rounds, correct? No. Incorrect, Incorrect,
1: son. That is not the way you do it.
0: (laughs) It is not the way you do it. You have to, first of all, look at the fact that you only roster one – well, you can roster more, but you only have one starting quarterback position on your team. Yeah. This, we're talking about a 12-team standard scoring league where you have quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, flex position. And none of that so if like you're looking super
1: flex where you can pop a quarterback in there. None of that yeah,
0: nonsense. None, none of that garbage. So if you're looking at the, the makeup of your roster, you have one quarterback versus two running backs, two wide receivers, a flex, a tight end position. So that's six other – well, I'm going to even throw out the tight end because it's not really relevant to the conversation. But if you look at the two running backs, two wide receivers, and a flex, which 98% of the time, another bench stash-approved stat, it's always 98%. You're going to be starting a a running back or a wide receiver in the flex. Mm -hmm. So essentially you have five position players to one. So just looking at that ratio should give a slight indication on which position you should value the most, running back, wide receiver, versus a quarterback. Yeah.
1: No, I'm uh, I'm I'm with you there. Uh, the to bring back the like positional scarcity thing I referenced earlier uh, to sort of recall the difference between the top tier and the replacement level at running back and wide receiver was between that like, was between like 50 and 60 percent uh, for a quarterback between. The top-tier QB1 and QB15, which is even like being generous, making it 15, you could make a QB12 because you're only starting 12 of them, uh, is only 30%. So the drop-off is like much lower. The difference between replacement level and elite quarterback is considerably smaller, which is enough right there to tell you that it is uh, basically a waste of a pick to take a quarterback early. Now, that's not to say that you should just lock yourself into taking a quarterback late no matter what. Because we've been saying, you know, you don't do that. You know, you don't give yourself any hard and fast strategies. But that just tends to be how the board falls if you value running back and wide receiver more. Like, yes, if Aaron Rodgers was sitting there in the fifth round, would I take him? Yeah, I would. But that's – I've never seen that happen. Um, And so it just tends to fall that quarterbacks that are in that, like, 12 to 15, like, low in QB1 range are sitting there in the – Ninth, 10th 11th 12th round maybe and there's just
0: no reason and that not goes to back take to value that. yeah yeah there's no reason to draft a quarterback in the third round which is typically the second third round is where i'm starting to see your cam newton your aaron Rodgers starting to be drafted and yes they are elite quarterbacks in the league yes it is a passing league but it just goes back to what you're pointing out second ago yeah the, there's not much of a difference between your elite level quarterbacks and a quarterback that will be benched on a certain team, or even a quarterback in any given week that is on the waiver wire. The the difference between the number of points that they're putting up, and remember, in a fantasy football matchup, you are essentially just trying to beat your opponent in the most positions, right? Yeah. If you if you beat them in the most positions, if your quarterback scores high higher than you win the quarterback position if your running backs score higher than you win the running back position so as long as you come out on top in the majority of the positions usually you'll win it doesn't always happen that way but you should be trying to build a roster based on the fact that okay if you have the best running backs you have stronger wide receivers that will be putting up more points then you you should be winning which is i mean it's an obvious statement it doesn't always work out that way but if you're looking at quarterbacks and the the average amount of points that they put up per week if we take 2015 for example now cam newton had a freakish year because Mm -hmm. of how much he runs the ball so he was clearly the the top scoring fantasy quarterback by over 50 fantasy points so he averaged about 28.5 fantasy points per game which is absurd but he was more of an outlier if you look at the overall numbers. So apologies to Cam. I'm going to take him out of this equation. Yeah. If you look at the, the second, number two is Tom Brady, who scored 25.4 fantasy points per game. And then you drop all the way down to number 21. We have Marcus Mariota, the Tennessee Titans, scoring 21.2 fantasy points per game, which is a... Whopping difference of four fantasy points per game. Yeah. And that is Tom Brady number two to 21, which is a huge range. So if you can get a player off of the waiver wire that could potentially score 21, 22 points, and your elite level quarterback is putting up 25 points, then worst case scenario, you lose that position by three points. Mm-hmm. But if you wait to take a quarterback later in the draft, then you should have higher value at other positions. So really, the quarterback position becomes a wash in most of your matchups. And if that's the case, you should be having stronger performances from your other position players, which would give you the boost to win the matchup.
1: Exactly. And uh, a sort of point that you've been hinting at is that, let's say you take one of these late quarterbacks and they just completely flop. Well, you can always like go to the wire and you know stream quarterbacks if you need to. Uh, It's like pretty, pretty easy to stream quarterback because they are guaranteed to touch the ball a certain amount of times. You pick a at least decent quarterback against a bad defense. And like most of the time, that'll work out at least okay. Yes. Uh, Streaming Willie Peeman. Exactly. We'll be talking more about this in the season. Uh, But you can't really do that with running back or wide receiver. Uh, If you're if your top guys bust and you don't get lucky with some of the handcuffs out there, then you're just, you are now losing at that position. You're not, you know, you're not maybe, you know, there's always those players that crop up in the second half, but then, you know, yep. do you have the top waiver claim to get them? If you do have the top waiver claim, is it even really going to make a difference? Cause that means you've already been losing terribly. So yep. it's quarterback. You can replace in a plethora of ways running back and wide receiver. You, you got to hit on some of those early picks. Otherwise you're screwed and you, you, you need to take as many as you can to hit on the picks
0: exactly and because of the fact that in a 12 team league like you mentioned earlier there are only 12 quarterbacks will be starting in a week so in your fantasy league so that means unless you have teams which are hard teams that like to roster two or three quarterbacks which is inexplicable to me yeah. i've seen teams in our league that have two quarterbacks on their bench i'm thinking what what are you doing you know yeah but it does happen but for the most part there should be you know QB 15, sitting out on the waiver wire. And if QB 15 is only averaging two fantasy points less than QB 2, and he's playing a terrible passing defense, whereas if your elite-level quarterback is playing the best passing defense, then you have a juicy matchup situation where even if you have a good quarterback quarterback, or a quarterback that establishes himself, you can, you can look into the matchups, which is something we'll talk about a lot in the season as well. Mm-hmm. But to support this argument, uh, in one of the leagues that I won last season, Oh God, uh, I, I won the championship week did with you, one captain. Did you win Kirk the championship? Because I haven't heard you mention Cousins. that once. Oh, and you will never hear me mention it again. <laughs> but anyways, back to when I won the championship. Oh, God. Um, captain Kirk Cousins was my starting quarterback in the, the championship week. Because he had a juicy matchup, dropped four touchdowns, and led me to victory. Uh, in case you were wondering what I won, it was a fantasy football league. I oh, have no idea. It before.
1: I mean, that's so, with all your bragging in there, you, you do make a point, which is that you can very easily win a league streaming quarterback. Uh, a league that I had won once in the past. Uh, I won it. I won this league. I won it. Uh, and the quarterback that I drafted, I drafted one quarterback a year and it was Terrell Pryor for the Oakland Raiders. And I streamed the whole year and my quarterback ended up being like roughly QB five at the end of the year. And I won the league and that's, and that's not, not like meant to be a brag. I like, guess kind of a brag, but it's not meant to be a brag. Cause I don't, I'm not like amazing at streaming or identifying the absolute best matchups. It just shows that like, it's pretty easy to do.
0: Yeah. Terrell Pryor is not even quarterback anymore. Yeah, he's so not even in the league. Basically. Your one quarterback was uh, a wide receiver. Yeah. So okay. and you know not even in the league. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, QBs are very easy to stream, uh, and that just supports taking one later because yeah. if you take, I mean, you can still get. Uh, I mean, I've seen Eli fall to the to the tenth, eleventh round in some of these mocks. I've seen. <laughs> Derek Carr, who whose offense is only improving, I've seen him fall to the tenth, eleventh round. I've seen Kirk Cousins fall to the tenth, eleventh round. Yeah, and these are quarterbacks that should be putting up numbers each week.
1: I've seen Carson so, Palmer down there, which I don't understand at all. What yeah, Palmer's which doesn't doing make down, any sense down in yeah. round ten? I don't know. Maybe it's just the age. I have no idea. But you know, those guys slide down there, and so they're they're always ripe for the picking.
0: And this is, again, this is one of those strategies that is pretty well known throughout the fantasy football community. So you read articles about why you shouldn't be taking quarterbacks early. So like you mentioned before, if everyone in your league is buying into that strategy and you're sitting in the sixth round and you see Russell Wilson on the board, go ahead and take him. Yeah. That's no, we're not saying you should never draft a quarterback in the first eight rounds uh, for me unless there's ridiculous value to be had i I won't draft a quarterback in the first eight rounds the ninth round is the earliest i'll draft a quarterback personally yeah
1: that tends to be where i fall too. like i I have those like big theoreticals of like oh rogers in the fifth like russell in the sixth or seventh sure but that that's not happening like the ninth is where the real value actually starts and yeah i don't think i've ever actually drafted anyone earlier than that
0: yeah uh and kind of piggybacking off of the whole quarterback situation, there's another position that you only start one of, uh, which is kind of a volatile position, uh, the tight end position. So in terms of when should you draft a tight end, does your philosophy kind of remain the same in terms of quarterback versus tight end? or
1: uh, It's pretty similar. Uh, if you sort of round out the positional scarcity numbers, uh, the difference between a Tight end one and a tight end 15 is 49%. So it's actually pretty close to wide receiver. Uh, It's not as like advantageous to wait on it, but I still tend to wait because after that tight end one, after your Gronk, uh, it's all a wash. Like some of them are a little bit better than the others, but the advantage just isn't really there. And so at that point I tend to wait just because the difference between 15 and two, I guess, isn't, isn't that big. So I, I tend to wait. That's one thing if you're like, you're really squeamish on, I don't blame you if you reach a little bit for tight end, just because streaming tight end is so much more difficult. It's so hard to yeah. identify the defenses that are weak to tight end and the offenses that use the tight end reliably. Really, when you're streaming tight end, you're like, which one do I think gets a touchdown this week, which is really hard to yeah. predict. So that's one where like, if you see like a decent value and you want to reach like, okay, I don't really have any qualms with that. But I just personally still tend to wait till around the same range as quarterback.
0: Yeah, yeah, typically. And there are those tight ends that typically fly under the radar yeah. that are floating around in in the later part of the draft. So I don't have a problem waiting on tight end. I mean, again, it comes down to value if Gronk is sitting there. And, well, I should ask, what what is the earliest you would take Gronk?
1: I mean, we did our, our little rankings that we'll reveal, uh, like, next week sometime or whatever. Uh, and I think I ended up with him, like end of the second which i guess is like if i had the first overall pick and then i was sitting there at the two three turn and gronk was available i'd probably take him with one of those picks um but if it's like middle of the second um and he's there i'm probably still not taking him just because even though he does give a huge advantage that's like putting a big dent into my like running back or wide receiver depth
0: exactly yeah (laughs) so uh, he's really the only one too so, yeah, I mean, Jimmy there's so Graham many other tight ends basically out there dead. Um, Jordan Reed is getting
1: hyped up like he's going to be the next big number two. But, you know, he's injury prone, too. And that passing
0: offense is like uh, we've seen so little of it being really successful that I don't really trust it yet. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, most of the guys from two to 15, like you were saying, they kind of all f- fit into the same category, really. There's yeah. just almost impossible to predict. There are a couple of guys, I mean, you really just want to look at the targets. I mean, are they, a, are they a red zone target? If that's the case, if they're the big body that the quarterback is always looking to in the red zone, then you feel a little bit better. Okay, maybe he'll fall into the end zone in this week and get me that six points. I mean, that's like your baseline for yeah. the tight end. You're just looking for that touchdown because it's the one position where, like you said, it's really hard to predict and you probably have the higher percentage chance of getting like a zero or a one. And then it just gets really painful. Yeah. But the thing is, even though like you're more likely to get
1: nothing out of it, uh, it's not going to hurt you as much because everyone that doesn't own Gronk is having the same problem. So even exactly. if you have a, t- if your end gets literally one point that week, the guy you're playing probably isn't going to do that much better if he's, you know, a non Gronk owner. So it's, this really just waiting because I'd rather fill up on wide receiver and running back and leave myself open for that value, quarterback in the ninth or tenth. And then just find like a, a tight end that I think has some upside in the like 12th or 13th round. Because there's always a few there where it's like, well, maybe this guy is the next Tyler Eifert, or Travis Kelsey or Jordan Cameron. Like every year, there's one of those guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it goes back to when you're in a fantasy football matchup. It's basically position versus position. So if you do lose that tight end matchup when the week you play Gronk, then you have to think that the team that drafted Gronk in the first or second round, they probably lost out on some of the other depth. So you should be in better position when it comes to the running back or the wide receiver position. That's not always the case, but that's typically how I view it. I want those prime (laughs) rounds in the draft to be spent on the high volume positions, wide receiver and running back. That's Mm -hmm. basically what it comes down to. And we've touched on this before, but you really can't be stuck in one mindset when you go into the draft. You don't know how the draft is going to fall. Talking about Gronk, I've seen Gronk go in the top five. So you don't know if that's going to happen in your draft, which would just mean you'd be sitting on a gold mine in the later part of the first round, Uh, which kind of brings me I don't know if this will close out our draft strategy segment. but It might, it might. It might. But talking about position, draft position, ideally, where would you want to be? 12-team draft, snake draft. So the the team that picks 12th will also have the 13th pick. Snakey-wakey. Snakey-wakey, eggs and bakey. (laughs) So where would you ideally place yourself? Uh, I mean, you know, assuming it's, you had a
1: choice. It's different every year. Um, like last year, I think I liked what, two or three the best because of where the drop off was at running back. Uh, this year, I tend to like six or seven best right in the middle because you get the of those like we named those four running backs earlier. You're Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Jamal, about that base, Charles. Um, that's kind of that tier of like elite guys that even though two of them are coming back from serious injuries, you still feel like best about their talent plus situation. Um, and usually the last one of those guys is still available around six or seven. And so that's where mm-hmm. I like to be. Cause then, you know, I have a better spot coming around in the second. Um, Cause once you get to the extremes, at least in mocks I've been in of like one or 12, I just don't really like the results as much. Whoever I'm taking out one, I feel like I'm losing value just taking someone that high. That's one of those players. And then at 12, it's like I'm always stuck with one of like uh, either taking two wide receivers, which I just like personally never feel super comfortable with, even if even if I somehow end up with like what's like a realistic version, like Des Bryant and Julio yeah. Jones, realistically, you could get at the 12 13 turn. Even if that happens, I still don't feel like great about it cause I'm like, oh God, what are my running backs going to look like? And so then I always end up with like uh, David Johnson or like Lamar Miller if I'm lucky. And so it's, I just, yeah. I like to be like in the middle cause I'm still likely
0: to get one of those top tier guys. Yeah. And, and just by the tone, when you said David Johnson, that should, that should give the listener <laughs> yeah. some insight onto where we'll have David Johnson ranked. Not that I don't think he could be this bell call back. He
1: certainly could.
0: He it, certainly could. He proved last season at the end of last season that he has that talent. I don't think talent was ever a question with David Johnson, but no, it's really we'll just, just see, uh, I mean,
1: we'll talk about it more, but you know, it's, it's sample size. We've we've seen so yeah. little of it. Can we trust it? And like maybe Zeke Elliott is the second coming of God Turdly, but again, he's never played in the NFL. So like, what are you doing taking him in the first round? You know, we'll you know we'll get into why you're silly for thinking that next week. But a little preview, I guess. Harvey
0: Dent, Harvey Dent, <laughs> can we trust him? <laughs> David Johnson, can we trust him? Exactly. So yeah, that's. I mean, I I wanted to make one more point but i kind of i'm just you know this is our our training camp our podcast training camp it is. so it is uh everything things, is in a
1: crisp a couple of things i wanted to rattle off which maybe will give you time to think about that one more point that's escaping you is um even though like i do like to you know sort of follow the flow of the draft and take the best value in terms of just like personal comfort I feel the best if coming out of the first two rounds, I have a running back and a wide receiver and coming out of the first five, I have three running backs and two wide receivers. Like it doesn't always play out that way. Sometimes the board doesn't fall that way and doesn't happen, but when it does fall and that's the the composition I have, that tends to be what I like the most. And I then tend to kind of like follow that formula until I get into like the, the ninth quarterback round range. Um, and so that's sort of like a, a more concrete reflection of what we're talking about when we say drafting for value, favoring running back a bit more than wide receiver. That's sort of my, my personal preference with it, which you can try and a mock. And if you like, cool, or you might hate it, in which case you're wrong. Um, and then one other thing, just like, so defense and kicker, just real oh, quick. yeah,
0: we didn't touch on defense and kicker yeah. because why would we touch on defense and kicker? There's yeah. no point.
1: There's oh. no <laughs> point. Like, yeah, no, exactly. Like kickers gotta be your last pick. And defense has to be your second-to-last pick, your penultimate pick. That's, that's, what, that's how you use penultimate, right? I don't know.
0: That is. Yeah, the Just year penultimate the last. Pick. Yeah.
1: Yep, there it is. Boom. Mm-hmm. Boom, still it. Um, boom still got it. Boom still got it. Boom still got it, yep. Um, but, you know, we rarely see anyone getting taking kicker that high unless they're, like, trying to be a troll. But, <laughs> like, defense, you still see people in, like, the eighth and ninth round reaching for, like, the Seahawks or, like, maybe the Panthers or Cardinals this year. Like, you still see people doing that. And I, you know, had always just been told that I should take defense in the penultimate pick uh, to keep having fun with alliteration. Um,
0: penultimate pick? Oh, you know what alliteration is.
1: I do, yeah. It's, it's Color
0: me impressed.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not as dumb as I always appear to be. Um, and so I decided to just, like, do a little bit of research for myself. Like, is does this fit my own, like, personal philosophy? And so I looked over the last five years of defense's and their ADP versus where they finished that year, and where they finished in one year versus the next year. So, like you know, what the ranks, the final ranks were in 2011 versus 2012. How much consistency was there, and then how much, how closely did the ADP match? And without getting too much into specifics, because it doesn't matter that much. What I found is that um, the the top pick based off the of ADP. Uh, not only never finished as the top pick in those five years, but never even finished in the top five of the, of defenses. In fact, three of the five times, they just flat out busted and finished outside the top 12. And two of the oh, times terrible. they managed to get inside the top 12, but one of them in 2013, it was the Seahawks and they finished sixth. And then in 2015, it was the Seahawks again as like the first best defense and they finished 12th, which... There's no advantage at the 12th best defense. You only get yeah. advantage if you manage to find that defense that actually finishes first overall. And as I sort of saw looking through ADP, um, it's like completely random on where it lands. It can be someone outside of the top 12. It can be someone in the middle of the top 12. I found it was actually never someone in the top five of ADP, which I feel like is just still randomness based off of it only being a five-year sample size. But it's yeah, still just like... There's no real formula there. And what I found on where they were drafted versus did they finish in the top 12 is roughly 50% of teams drafted in the top 12 finish in the top 12, which sounds like, oh, so I got a 50-50 chance of hitting it. That's not too bad, but it also tells you that defenses outside of the top 12 were just as likely to finish in the top 12, meaning that you actually have no advantage for taking one of these higher ranked defenses. Because even none. like the, yeah none at all it's actually like the <laughs> arts are just the same and the uh, yeah. and the 12th best defense goes in the penultimate second to last round roughly every year so even if you wait and decide to take 12 that's still going to fall into this second to last round thing we're telling you to do and then really so, you, sh- you shouldn't even be drafting based off of well they're the 12th ranked defenses here you should just be drafting them based off of do they have a good matchup week one that's all you should be thinking about when you draft defense. Is their matchup good week one? Cool. And then figure it out from there.
0: Yeah, stream it. So what you're telling me, in a nutshell, is that defense does not win championships.
1: Not not based off of preseason rankings and ADP or even historical rankings. Cause it was the same thing of roughly 50%. Like the teams that finished in the top 12 in 2011, half of them finished in the top 12 in 2012 and the top 12 from 2012, half of them finished in the top 12 from 2013. And it goes that way through each of the five years. And so it's like based off of no actual historical or statistical information does a defense win you a championship. It wins you a championship if you get lucky if you picked the chiefs in 2013 or the bears in 2012 or the Cardinals or Panthers this last year, then it helped you, but there was nothing to suggest that they were going to be this like elite explode,
0: destroy everything defense. Yeah. And basically it's such an easy position to stream that you don't really need to bother with drafting a defense that early Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense really if you look at your draft composition. Why would you waste a, a pick on a defense when you could wait till the penultimate pick? The penultimate to, pick. Penultimate pick to yeah. do it. Yep. Yeah. And that kind of jogged my memory a little bit about what I wanted to talk about before, which was draft go. composition. So we've touched a lot about what to do earlier in the draft. And maybe even when to draft a quarterback. We just talked about when to draft a defense and a kicker. But when would you... Uh I'm going to just talk very slowly to hammer in this point. When would you start to look at drafting these high upside, maybe handcuff type of players? Or would you even waste a pick on a handcuff?
1: Handcuff Handcuff is a term that
0: gets thrown around in fantasy football a lot do i need to handcuff my running back mm. should i handcuff my starting running back or should i handcuff my opponent's starting running back handcuff player h to the p harry potter um
1: you know i personally don't bother with handcuffs because don't even waste your time with them no because the odds of your top like elite end running back getting hurt in the first month of the season are pretty low and it, If they don't get hurt that soon, you will have cut the handcuff by the end of the first month of the season, because there'll be someone worth picking up that you need more. And we also we don't really know who the handcuffs are Um, with last year on the Chiefs. The who was the big handcuff that everyone thought this was Jamal Charles guy? What was his name? I can't remember because he ended up doing nothing last
0: year. If he fell into obscurity. He was the handcuff the year before. Yeah, he for like four then,
1: years he was Jamal Charles handcuff, and he'd go in like the ninth or tenth
0: round every year. God, what was his name? And Then Charizard West came in and stole yeah, the job. Yeah, then, and
1: then and then Jamal Charles goes down, and suddenly Char Char Binks, who nobody owns, <laughs> is the guy. And then Spencer Ware, who nobody knows, is also the guy. And this guy, yeah. okay, I just I need to know his name.
0: This, yeah, <laughs> Google him up. This, this goes to show that it's preseason you yeah. know, for our, our pod. But it also goes to show how he just fell into obscurity. This handcuff. The must-have handcuff, right? Niall Davis. That oh, was it. Niall Davis, that's yeah. right. Jeez, Nile exactly, because he never denial. did anything.
1: He'd have one big game a year in week 17 when Jamal Charles was on the bench. And so everyone was like, this is it. You know, he's, he's going to be the guy if Charles ever goes down. And then he did, and he wasn't. He got passed over by two other guys. And that's, you know, same thing with uh, a few years ago when Ray Rice was out of the league. Everyone was like, oh, here comes Bernard Pierce and fucking fell flat on his face. So it's like not – it's it's a – I would say I think it's a waste of a roster spot to handcuff. I personally don't do it.
0: Now what about like a high upside type of player that might not be a starter but is just sitting in a backfield that is ripe for the picking? Like – Kenneth Dixon this year or a I guess to a certain extent Kenyon Drake in Miami. These these I guess pseudo backup running backs that could easily take the job at any given time. Yeah, in that
1: situation I'm much more inclined to do it because, you know, with Dixon in Baltimore, like maybe it's just in set, We don't really know how that backfield's gonna shake out. So that where that's where I'm inclined to take it. Same with um Kenyon Drake was added in
0: Miami. Um. There's a lot of these running backs that yeah. are backfields that are very murky. We think there's a clear starter, but you don't you don't really know. Like in Miami, it's it's supposedly Jay Ajahi. he's yeah, yeah. the man. But then you hear lots of the whispers. You know, Varus is just whispering in the corner. Yeah. Varys' little birdies, yeah, his little birdies are telling you to draft Kenyon Drake because he has the explosive. Ability to just bust off an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah. I was about to drop a Game of
1: Thrones spoiler based off of that, and then I realized that the season's been over, like, two weeks, and I probably shouldn't do that. But, yeah. Has There's it only s- been two weeks? Maybe a week and a half. It hasn't been very long. The finale was, I think it was, like, a week ago on Sunday.
0: Yeah. When, when, is, when can we start dropping spoilers? Because, you know, it's such a key pop culture reference I mean that I like would argue that with Game of Thrones you can start dropping spoilers
1: the next day because you know what man Game if of you Thrones haven't seen it, Sunday night come on that should be like you should be planning that no matter what set everything else aside give one hour to Game of Thrones because you're just asking for trouble if you don't do it ask him for it just ask for it him. Um, mm. but to get back on topic um yeah if it's like a high upside guy in a murky backfield yeah I'm inclined to spend like a late round pick on him like a like a C.J. Proysseis where, you know, Thomas Rawls is like still, his leg is somehow still hurt. Uh, the latest reports are that apparently he is now behind Jimmy Graham on when he'll come back. And Jimmy Graham had this like crazy ass injury that no one's ever come back from all the way. And so it's like, who knows what's actually going on with Thomas Rawls. It's all very scary. And so in that situation, I'm like, yeah, take pro Cice in the very late rounds because that could shake out in the first few weeks. If the if the timeline on this player becoming the starter is the first few weeks of the season, then I'm on board taking them. But if it's someone that you have to hold, so that maybe someone gets hurt two months into the season, it's just don't bother because you'll have cut them by then.
0: So let's let's look at like uh, Le'Veon Bell or Jamal about that base. Jamal about that guys base. who had severe knee injuries. We're talking their knee exploded like the Septa Baylor last all season fuck. all right well, oh shit Dropped. spoiler spoilers
1: there it is <laughs> boom boom just, <laughs> just like the <laughs> uh, so
0: right. if you're taking Le'Veon bell in the first round that is your <laughs> you, that's your investment your first round investment you're not taking a d'angelo williams later in the draft you're just rolling with bell i mean you know i might i might change my statement
1: Seven. once it's the beginning of september but you know assuming that Le'Veon bell is playing week one and all reports are that he is healthy, then no, I'm probably not gonna bother to take D'Angelo Williams. But even that's like a little bit different because it's coming back from a serious injury. You know, who's to say that he doesn't come out on his first carry, he fucking re-tears it like Sam Bradford, whatever it was two seasons ago and his first preseason yeah. game retores ACL. Like that that could happen. So in that like again, coming back from an injury, like maybe depends on ADP. I don't know D'Angelo Williams ADP right now, but if it was late enough, then like I might do
0: it. OK, yeah, my I'm 50 50 with the handcuffs for talking about should you draft a handcuff for using Le'Veon Bell for an example. He was my first round draft pick last season. Yeah, but he was suspended for the first two games. So I was forced to draft D'Angelo Williams just to have somebody to fill that spot. Yeah. And lo and behold, Le'Veon Bell comes back, has a solid month. So I was lulled into just thinking, why do I need D? Well, he's not doing anything. Dropped him. Mm-hmm. Boom. There goes Le'Veon's knee. There goes my season. Oh, wait, no, I have the depth, and I win the championship. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> What a sad anecdote. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, as far as handcuffs go, my typical philosophy is that they have to have value on their own. You don't just want to draft a guy because he's your starter's backup. Because he could be caught garbage. He might yeah. not even be capable. He might just be a body. Yeah, I but mean, if, he's, if he's a player that has legitimate talent that could steal the job on his own merit, like, for example, the situation in Denver this season, you have C.J. Anderson, oh, who I Devonte think will probably Booker. bounce back. But then you have the ninja lurking in the shadows, Devontae Booker, <laughs> stealthy. Did you see his moves at Utah, man? They were juicy. I, I just saucy. remember that one Vintage. game of,
1: of Utah I watched with you, and I never heard of him or even watched a Utah game. You're just like, look at this Devontae Booker guy. He's the next big thing. And now here he's, he is. He's the next
0: Arian Foster. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Devontae Foster. Booker is a man in Denver. I mean, he's in, the...
1: he's in a good situation, you know, being behind C.J. Anderson, who's proven to be nothing more than Peyton Manning's caddy. Oh, shit. Oh, oh shit. Snap um these hot takes coming in at the end hot of the takes hot takes i mean these you know hey yeah handcuffs it's all very situational if it's a not super high upside guy behind a as far as we know healthy elite guy i'm not gonna waste a pick on it if it's you know the guy's coming off a serious injury or it's a murky backfield then like yeah there's there's you know an adp there's a spot where i would take them but you know, Jarek McKinnon, I'm probably not drafting him this year unless it's like very late and it's like my last
0: running back. And then I might take him regardless of if I have Adrian Peterson. Yeah, exactly. That That's a good example of, does this running back have standalone value? I mean, if your stud goes down, are you even going to put this player in to start in his place? Is it worth it? Or should you be trying to, Adopt a different plan at that point. Yeah. Because if they're not that talented, you only have them as a safety net, but then looking at the big picture, you don't even feel comfortable starting them. If your starter goes down, then they're a waste of a spot. Yeah. I mean, there are situations where there are clear handcuffs. Last year, D'Angelo Williams was a perfect example. Yeah. You knew he had an explosive second week against San Francisco where he scored three touchdowns. So you knew that he was capable of coming in and being, I mean, not Le'Veon Bell, but. Putting up solid fantasy numbers for you where you could start him as your RB1 because you like Pittsburgh's offense. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of situations like you just mentioned, Jarek McKinnon. He's not worth rostering in my opinion because if AP goes down, I just don't think you're going to see enough value from Jarek McKinnon as a starter to make it worth it. So then that leads me to the next topic of conversation. Not to extend the pod too long, but (laughs) how, how do you generally stack your bench? Oh, do you stack your bench with depth in all the positions starters that are maybe not as talented are in the best situation possible? But players that do see touches on their team or do you try to hit the home run with these high upside guys that have the potential to just to step in and be that guy? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good like last thing to touch on before we wrap it up. Um, yeah, I
1: I'll take one quarterback. I'll take one tight end, one defense, and one kicker, just to get that just to get that part of this out of the way. I'm not taking two of any of those positions. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. There's no situation where I'm doing that. Um, and so then the rest of it is running backs and wide receivers. And I sort of it's kind of this curve where at the start of the draft I'm trying to get a combination of like high upside and safety. And then as I get into the middle of draft, I'm looking more at like safety because I'm like, okay, I need some reliable depth though. And then it kind of goes back the other way. Of when I get into the late rounds, I'm more about finding the guys that are a home run, because the guys that aren't, that don't have that home run upside, that are going in the late rounds, are those like specialist backs, like a uh, like Chris Thompson or uh, who's the pass catching back on the Lions? Theo Riddick. Theo Riddick, yeah, or like Theo Riddick, yeah. and it's like you know, and in non PPR, it's like that's how is taking that guy going to help me? Even if Amir Abdullah were to go down, how is Theo Riddick really going to help me? So I tend to, in the later rounds, go for the high upside ones. The ones where, yeah, it needs an injury or for this guy to just like completely flop and he gets leapfrogged. But since it's the end of your bench, it doesn't matter, especially because once the season starts, you're going to start cutting those guys anyway. When there's, you know, that player that breaks out in week one and then, you know, those injuries that start happening. The end of your bench is kind of just like, it's fodder. You're, you're, true, you should be turning with that pretty regularly.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's basically the mindset that I adopt as well. Um, I like a little bit of safety on my bench. I mean, and not to stray too far off topic, this kind of goes back to the zero wide receiver, zero running back strategies. If you're loading up on these positions early on, then you should be looking for that, baseline from your other positions because your your team is basically riding on the studs to carry you to victory so you don't you can't have the possibility okay say for example you take two running or two wide receivers three wide receivers in the first three rounds you need that baseline from your running backs you can't be starting a running back that has the potential to put up less than five points Right? So you need that stability. Same with if you go running back, running back, running back. You need that baseline. So you don't want to be drafting that boom or bust type of player that, yeah, they'll put up 30 points one week, but zero the next. You're looking for stability at that point. So if you, are, if you find yourself in a position where you are loading up early on one position, that is what will lead your team to victory. Yeah, Those players will have to perform. So you are counting on those players putting up huge points each week. That's why you drafted them there. You wanted them to lead you to a victory. So that means the other position, you have to back up with stability. You need somebody like Julian Edelman as a wide receiver who might not put up huge numbers every week, but he's putting up 10 points consistently. If you can get those consistent type of players to fill in the rest of your roster and then that leaks onto your bench, then your team composition is a lot more secure. You'll feel better about your team rather than being in that situation where you have to rely on like a a Tory Smith to to go off on a given week. A well, Tory Smith could be a steal of the draft though. We'll go into that another <laughs> yeah. another pod. But one of those like you know, they're very boom or bust. Yeah. And that's, that's a good that's a effect. good
1: point too of like it's got to be a mixture of like high upside Low floor and safety. Like, if your starting lineup is like T.Y. Hilton, Deshaun Jackson, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, I'd be very scared because those are all guys that could just fucking fall on their face, and those wide receivers are very up and down. Like, you might completely destroy some weeks, but you are also likely to have a total of 40 points
0: another week. Um, that's even more dangerous when you st- when you have that week where you put up 200 points and you're yeah. like, oh, my gosh, fully erect right now. <laughs> yeah. Then you are sitting there and it's a, it's a, a memory that you're holding on to. Well, they could put up 200 points again, and then you find yourself in a lo- losing streak yeah. and on the outside looking in, and you're just waiting. Well, my team, I'm just waiting for my team to explode. They're not really performing up to standard, and then your season is, is just – flushed down the toilet, basically.
1: Exactly. And if you're trying to, like, figure out which players are the safe ones and which ones are the boomer bust, just look at what they did, you know, last season, the last few seasons, if they've been in the league long enough, and uh, just see how many weeks, you know, because you can't trust season-long totals. Like, someone might finish as the wide receiver 12, but, you know, half of their weeks are 18 points and the other half are 2 points. You know, you can't – you can have some of those guys, but you need to balance it with the guys where every week is between – 10 and 14 points and you want to and so when you're sitting there and you're trying to decide between two players maybe like just very quickly look at what they've done the last couple seasons and think about who you drafted so far and like okay i need one of these like boring but safe julian edelman types
0: exactly well i think that should probably wrap it up right yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're over an we're hour. We're on like an hour right now, so... Yeah, time to wrap I think our goal ship. coming into this season was to make our pods more concise, more on-topic, and then the, the very first one, we're over an hour. But, <laughs> you know, it's solid content. It's good stuff. It's stuff,
1: you know, none of this was totally nonsense rambling. Um, And, you know, it's the first episode, man. Cut us a break.
0: What was that? That was like full house with the, the With, cut us uh, a break. Uncle Joey. Cut us a yeah. break. Cut it out. Cut it out. C to the O. Cut, cut it out. Yeah. And, and we're just falling apart. Now, the, all right. the tires are coming off. The tread. Tread coming being Worn down. Ah, so let's close it out. I think the next pod we'll be doing, if you've made it this far, <laughs> yeah. you're really a dedicated Bench Dash fan, if you've made it this far into the pod. We'll probably – we just came up with our top 50. We didn't extend it to top 100 or top 200 like I know a lot of people like to look at. Well, yeah, we just yeah. stayed with top 50 because even after the top 10 or 20, it becomes really difficult to put a solid ranking on some of these players. Yeah. But that's why we make $0. That's, uh, that's
1: why because after the obvious choices, we're like, what, who do we pick?
0: Well, let's just <laughs> you know just throw a dart. Ho- hopefully it sticks. Yeah. So. We will have a pod on the top 50, our Bench Dash top 50. Mm-hmm. We'll have a pod on a mock draft that we will be running live.
1: Yes, that one
0: will be very exciting. We'll have some, some web
1: cameras set up. You'll be able to see our faces. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to see the mock draft board. We'll be talking about our picks and mocking every other pick during the mock draft. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes.
0: It'll be a lot of fun, so you should, you know, stick around. <laughs> stick around. Stay around a while. Yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter, you know, shameless plug time. Yep. At Bench-FF. The Mm -hmm. FF stands for fantasy football, in case you were wondering. Yep, and we now have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash
1: Bench-FF. Same little chunk there at the end. Um, (laughs) At some point in the near future, we will have a a website with with this content on it, uh, where we can also put up, like, our ranks for when we do that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we
0: might even have a YouTube at some point A YouTube channel know.
1: where, man, if we get real crazy I'll start breaking out segments from each episode And putting them on YouTube So it can be just like Here's what we think of but, Zero RB Here's what we think of handcuffs Because that's, you know Most people would rather listen to a 10 minute chunk Than an hour and a half chunk
0: Exactly You know, put our little quip about Knees exploding like the Septa Baylor, Baylor Yeah, know? put up just that just, just reel in those GOT fans Yeah or just the, the little thing talking about
1: plebs, really bringing those Greco-Roman... Plebeian Jones,
0: yeah. yeah. Plebeian Starting Jones. Starting it off strong. That's going to stick all season. He'll, he'll be Plebeian Jones the entire season. Although, we have so. to
1: decide, as the last thing of this episode, is, is the name of this episode going to be Plebeian Jones or Demaryius Targaryen? Targaryen.
0: I feel like we talked about Plebeian Jones a little bit more. I guess we did just say Demaryius Targaryen and then not mention him Just like randomly, yeah. (laughs) Because we're not really looking into players, what we think they're going to do this season. Well, maybe we'll save Demaryius Targaryen for another episode where we actually talk about, like, does Denver have a quarterback that inspires you to draft Demaryius Targaryen at any point? Maybe as soon as the next episode. Yeah, maybe as soon as the next episode. But we should sign off. I don't sign off. really remember what our stay cool was it? I don't let's just do a new one because
1: I don't remember what it was and it was probably. Season stupid. two. Season, season yeah. two, our rookie season, season two.
0: Season two. The <laughs> rooks. The rooks. The God Turdlies. The God Turdlies. Alright, um, so let's close it off with uh with a what? What do you think? Let's just do this on the spot here. What's our what's our sign off? Um
1: I don't know. How about, how about, you know, you're like the, the host pretty much. Just like, you know, just spaghetti something out. The first thing that pops into your head and that'll be it forever.
0: Sp- <laughs> there it is. We're spaghetti-ing on out of here, guys. spaghetti on out That's of here. A- <laughs> I think we'll just have a new sign-off. Our, every episode will have a different sign-off. That's so, probably better. Uh, for episode one, Plebeian Jones, this is Ben Stash, and we're spaghetti on out of here, guys bye